Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Story of Lazarus. Let's do it together. John chapter 11 is where we are. We are finishing up the message series entitled Wonder Worker. We've been looking at the miracles of Jesus from the Gospels. Everybody good? Y'all good? Been a beautiful day and everything wonderful. Uh, if you haven't heard me say it, just so you know, I had a minor surgery to take a cyst off of this finger and it has a flesh colored bandage and I can't bend it. So if in the sermon you feel like I'm <laughs> making a lot of rude gestures, just know it's not intentional. I'm not pointing it at you, uh, nothing like that. It's just uh, I have a, a bandage on that finger. Um, so anyway, that, that, there's that, just to, so there's no confusion. John chapter 11 is a phenomenal story, and I love this miracle of Jesus so much. Uh, what is the worst smell in the world to you? What do you just hate to smell? Out, out loud. What did you say, Linda? A pigsty. Pigs. Yeah, there's a pig farm kind of behind our house that the wind used to blow just right. You could taste it in your mouth. It was terrible. Pigsty. What else? Yeah, raw sewage. Yeah, we don't have to go into any detail. Raw sewage, a sewage plant, absolutely. You don't have to tell me about your husband after he eats Thai food. We don't want to hear about it. We understand some things are really, really malodorous. What else? Burnt popcorn. I am with you so much. Yeah. Y'all ever work in a place where somebody like tries to pop popcorn, they burn the popcorn, and, and you just think, I'm going to find a new place to work. I can't work like this. That's the worst I cook every meal in our house. I cook every meal that Casey and I eat. And if I'm not home, Casey will often make popcorn. And, and even if she doesn't burn it, you can't get that smell. I mean, it stinks up the house. for. And I, don't, I like popcorn, but y'all know what I mean? It just stinks up the house for days. Uh, so that's just not my thing. We don't all agree on what smells good and what doesn't smell good. Have you ever noticed that? There was a guy that used to go to church here. His name was Frank. Frank was amazing. I love Frank. Uh, one day... Uh, Frank said, you know those little pink, you know, cake soap things in the bottom of the urinal? I said, yeah. He said, I love that smell. <laughs> Anybody else just love, guys love that? Because Adam, if you love it, you can have the one in, you can have the, you can take one home with you. Uh, and that's just funny. We don't all have the same idea sometimes of what smells bad and what does not smell bad. There was a family named the Shepherdsons who used to live at the end of Three Springs Road that had a, a cocker spaniel named Charm. And so I don't know how I remember that. But one day I went to their house. They weren't even home. And I never got off the sidewalk. I don't know what happened. I can't explain this at all. I got out of my car, walked up the sidewalk, went to the door, knocked on the door. They weren't home. I went back down the sidewalk, got in my car. As I was pulling out, I could smell dog poop. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got it on the bottom of my shoe. But then when I looked, I had it on the top of my shoe. I had it. Like, it's like I rolled in it. I don't know what happened. And I got it, like, it was, it was on the bottom of my shoe so thick. It got in the grooves of my gas pedal. So then, like, for weeks in the car, and I would take a shower, I would get in the car, and then I would just have secondhand stink, like, all day. You could smell 
that I have no idea. I, I, don't, I had it on top of my shoe. I, I mean, I don't, it's probably in my hair. I mean, I don't know what I did walking from the car to that door, but man, uh, I got marked by charm. Uh, scientists tell us that there are actually two uh, very specific uh, peptides. They're, they're uh, chemical compounds that are uh, considered to be the most offensive in the human olfactory system. In other words, people think that these smells are the worst of all. Uh, and it's two, they are actually present in every human cell and in most animal cells within anything with muscles. Um, they are called cadaverin and putrescin, which I think is really kind of funny when you think about it. Cadaverin and putrescin. And those are the compounds that are released when an animal dies or, or, or when one of us dies. Uh, it produces the smell of rotting flesh or the smell of death. Uh, and truly, it seems to be those two peptides, uh, cadaverin and putrescin, which trigger the strongest disgust and uh, revulsion response in the human olfactory system. It is the smell of death, which is the worst thing of all to us. And it is also very, very important in the story of the raising of Lazarus. So let's talk about it. Uh, John chapter 11, if you don't know this story, I can't read the entire chapter to you today. Uh, it's over, uh, over 44 verses long to get the story in, but just know... Uh, if, if you're new to the story, uh, Jesus had lots of disciples and, and people that knew his name, but uh, in all the world, there was something special in the relationship with these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, whose name was Lazarus. Lazarus lived with his sisters in a house in a little village called Bethany. And as I say, Jesus had a lot of friends and disciples, but there was something very unique about Lazarus. Martha and Mary, whenever Jesus would pass through Bethany, it looks like he always stayed at their house. I mean, these are the people that you would go out of your way just to spend the night in their house. Martha, in the Bible, even is known for her cooking. And so Jesus, no doubt, just saw their place as a home when he had no home. I'm sure that they were family in many, many ways to him. He really loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And that's important. The story begins by underlining the fact that he really loves them because it's almost unexplainable how when Jesus gets the word that Lazarus is sick, he doesn't go. I mean, he's responded to every invitation to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, but when Lazarus needs him most, Jesus doesn't go. Lazarus dies. Jesus doesn't even show up for the funeral. Jesus comes four days later, and uh, that's where we pick up the story. Jesus arrives at the house four days late. Uh, he's missed the death of Lazarus. He's missed the funeral, and now he faces Mary and Martha as he approaches the tomb of his friend. John chapter 11, verse 30 is where we'll start. Y'all with me? Let's look at it. John chapter 11, verse 30. This is amazing. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep 
anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked him. They told him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. And others said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus said. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him, <laughs> let him go. It, it, it really is uh, perhaps the most magnificent miracle Jesus works uh, in his earthly ministry. All of Jesus' miracles, I hope by now you've understood from the series, uh, all of Jesus' miracles are disruptive. We're talking about divine intervention, God getting in and meddling in your life. And although we often want God to fix our problems, like now, miraculously, we really don't always want his actual intervention in our life, but that's what miracles are. It's an intervention. He interferes. He meddles in your life. He changes the way things turn out. We've also said this about miracles, and I want to say it again today so that you can understand clearly. Every miracle starts with somebody's frustration. I've already said that. Every miracle starts with somebody's frustration, whether it's the frustration of the one who is blind or the one who is lame or the leper the frustration of the one who is possessed with the demon. Every miracle begins with a frustration and Jesus comes in and applies his power in that very place of frustration. The frustrating thing about today's story though is that, is that the most frustrating part of the whole matter is Jesus himself. It's, it's, it's the frustrating Jesus. Do you, do you know what I mean? The way that when they call for Jesus, I mean, Jesus you know, needs the word. He needs to know that Lazarus is sick. And so they send word because Jesus has gone about all through the countryside healing sick people, random sick people. He didn't even necessarily ask their name or know their name. And yet he just would heal them and they would go their way. I mean, Jesus has healed blind people, crippled people, lepers. I mean, and it's just a countless number of people People, but when they call for Jesus to come to the bedside of his friend who is sick, Jesus doesn't go. It's not even that he doesn't go. I mean, it's, it's on purpose. He, he stays where he is. Now, verse 4, when Jesus hears the news, Jesus says out loud, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. That's what he says, which is amazing. It's the truest thing ever, but at the same time, nobody understands what he means by that. And it says he stayed where he was for days. That's frustrating. You ever prayed? I mean, you just beat your 
fist against heaven's door till your knuckles are bloody and it just seems like God isn't paying any attention. I mean, it's the most frustrating thing ever. He does not come. When he finally does come, Martha says it first. She, she runs right up. I mean, she sees Jesus coming up the driveway and she runs out to meet him and she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, there's so much in that statement. And, and I know I probably projected a tone into that. You know, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't. I don't know what tone you want to read that in, but there's no tone that you can imagine that doesn't capture this woman's pain. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The accusation, of course, is you're too late now. Um, you're here, but it's too late now. If you'd been here earlier, you could have done the kind of thing that I've seen you do, but, but it's too late now. If you'd have been here sooner, nothing to do now, though. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's the implication. That's the accusation. You didn't come when you could have come, when you should have come. And then if it turns right down, Mary, the second sister, she says the very same thing. First words out of her mouth, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not. I mean, that frustration, Lord, where were you? Where have you been? And he just stayed. And it didn't even like he was busy. And he wasn't like out of town, like he needed to catch a flight or call an Uber. It's a short trip. He just did not come. It's inexplicable. It's frustrating. And, and so when he finally does come, people, people have thoughts. I mean, you know, here he comes walking in here. And you make the funeral four days later. I mean, the dead man is buried. It's over. And now he walks up and people whisper, you know, you know the story how Jesus weeps when he gets to the tomb. And so people say, man, look at him. He must have really loved him. And other people go, <laughs> how much you think he loved him? Where was he? You know? I mean, that's what people are whispering. You think he loved him? I'm not so sure. I mean, he healed blind. He did miracles, but he didn't even come for his friend. You know? People have thoughts. People whisper. Because Jesus is frustrating. I don't know your history of walking with Jesus, I don't know what you've been through, but I know, I know that some of you know what it is to walk with Jesus when he is so frustrating. He does not answer. He does not work his miracles for you. He may do it for other people. He ain't listening to you, you know? So let's just, let's nail a couple of things down. You need to know some things. You need to believe some things with your whole heart. These are three very simple things, but I will just be honest with you. They are three of the hardest things to hold on to when you need to know them most. So, so, so let's hit them. Uh, first off, Jesus loves you, and especially when you're in pain or trouble. Jesus loves you especially when you're in pain or trouble. Now, I say this, especially when you're in pain or trouble, because when you're in pain or trouble, that's when you're most likely to wonder if Jesus really loves you. Do you know what I'm saying? That's when you question, and you must not question. In this story, the fact that Jesus loves Lazarus is emphasized several times. Lord, the one you love is sick. I mean, it says it over and over and over. I mean, Jesus loves him. That's not even in the question, but at the same time, it's hard to somehow square the fact that he loves him, but then he doesn't respond. He doesn't show up. He doesn't do anything, you know? 
I'm just saying in your life, in the middle of pain and trouble and whatever else you find yourself in, it's in these moments when you're most likely to wonder if he really loves you. And I'm telling you, you've got to know that he does. I don't remember how long ago it was. It was a long, it was a long time ago, but I'll never forget the, the TV interview with this elderly woman, this mama who had raised, I don't know how many kids. It's enough kids to get you on the news. You know, so, I mean, like, we'll say a million. I'm not, she had a million kids. This old lady, she looked like, she looked like she'd had a million. I mean, she looked old. I mean, that woman had had a million kids. Um, but the thing, it was a really, it was a sweet story. This woman raised all these kids by herself, a million kids. Uh, and they all, every single one of them turned out to be something amazing. They were professionals. They were doctors and lawyers and teachers. And all of them, uh, just amazing men and women. And so the story was about the mama and how she raised them all, how she managed to raise all these kids. And uh, so the reporter in the end of the interview was, was trying to get her secret. Tell me, tell me your secret. What's the secret to being a mother to all of these children? And then the reporter said, uh, I know that you loved them all equally. So the reporter said, I know that you loved them all equally. And this wise old mama looked back at her with her eyes and she said, no, I loved all my children. I loved every one of my sons. I love all my daughters, but I did not always love them equally. Now listen, she said, I didn't always love them equally. I always loved the one who was down until he was up again. And I always loved the one who was hurt until she was healed again. And I always loved the one who was weak until he was strong again. And I always loved the one that was lost until she was found again. I'll just never forget that. Those four things. I loved the one that was down. I loved the one that was hurt. I loved the one that was weak. I loved the one that was lost until she was found again. You, did y'all understand what that mama's saying? I love all my kids, but I can't say I love them equally because uh, I loved them, especially when they were in pain or trouble. Always my heart went out to the one who was down, you know. Don't you ever doubt that the Lord loves you? I'm saying it because there will be moments when you're tempted to doubt. You're going to wonder if he does. And I'm just saying, this is why these are bedrock principles of faith. Because it doesn't matter how you feel. You just know that he loves you. Okay, let's keep going. Jesus knows all about your trouble. He knows your situation. Sometimes we pray like he, like he doesn't. You ever listen to us pray? Like we just telling God all, all about it like he doesn't know. And you know that prayer isn't about like giving God information so that he knows you know, what, you know, what you need. I mean, he already knows. He, he knows. And frequently in hospital visitation, you know, we talk about this together when we're going through medical situations because we often act as if somehow God is waiting on the report from the MRI. You know what I mean? It's, it's like we, we act like, you know, like he, you know, is waiting to find out what they tell us from the lab on that biopsy. And I'm telling you, he does not need the MRI. God's not you know, waiting on an x-ray or wishing you go get a second opinion. God doesn't need a second opinion. 
There's nothing he doesn't know and there's not a cell in your body that he doesn't have full diagnostic awareness of. Do you understand? There's nothing that he doesn't know and he knows all about your trouble. He knows your situation, I promise, better than you know your situation. He knows your sickness better than you know your sickness and better than any physician on earth. He's the great physician and he's the only one who really knows exactly what it's gonna take to heal you. He doesn't need any knowledge. He doesn't, he's not going to learn something new. He knows all about your situation. He understands your heart. He knows your marriage. He knows your finances. He knows your habits. He knows your addictions. He knows your sin, your guilt. He knows all of it. Understand, it's not anything he doesn't know. He sits where he sits. He sees everything and he knows everything. He knows all about your problem and then He has all the power to help. It's not a question, you know, Lord, if there's anything you can do, because sometimes we pray like that too. You know, if, if it's possible, what do you mean if it's possible? This is a God for whom all things are possible. There's nothing our God can't do. He has all the power to help. I mean, all the power. There is nothing that is impossible to our God. There's no situation you're ever gonna face where God says, oh, Oh, wow. Oh, oh, man. Man, I wish I'd have seen that coming. You know, man, somebody needs to tie a lease on him. He gets in more trouble. I mean, no, no, I'm telling you, God has all the power. You don't scare him. He's not up there wringing his hands thinking, oh my goodness, this is a bad one now. No, no. He has all the power to help. There's nothing he can't do. Three things. He loves you. He knows your situation. He knows your trouble. And he has all the power to help. You've got to know those things. I mean, know those things in the bottom of your knower. You know what I mean? No doubt. But it's matters of faith because it won't always feel that way. Let me say one more thing. Jesus has a larger purpose to bless you, which you can never see in the present. You can't see it. You'll never see it. And that's the hard part for you. If you knew already how all this turns out, you wouldn't lay awake at night worrying about it. Correct? If you already knew how he's going to put the pieces back together, you wouldn't be so worried about trying to put the pieces back together for yourself. You trust him. But you don't see. And you can't see. I'm not suggesting that you could see. You can't. You don't sit where God sits. Therefore, you don't see what God sees. You don't know what God knows. But you have to believe that he has a larger purpose to bless you. He's always going to bless you. He's not going to hurt you. He's going to protect you. He's going to bless you. Everything in your life, I'm not saying everything that happens is a blessing. There are terrible things that happen. But the scripture says that all of these things will somehow work together in this larger plan, this larger purpose to bless your life. There is nothing that can happen to you that is going to be a surprise to God. And nothing that happens that God says, oh no, you know, oh my goodness, no, oh my, no, you know, all of a sudden my plan is canceled because she made that she chose the wrong major in college, you know. He is not freaking out by any of these things that you freak out over. His plan to bless you is uncancelable. Is that a word? Cancelable. Is that even a word? You can't stop God's plan to bless you. It cannot be thwarted. It cannot be erased. 
it can't even be delayed. God's going to bless you. Everything is going to work out exactly as he, as he wants it to work out. But you can't see that. That's the amazing part about this entire chapter, this amazing, magnificent miracle that Jesus works. I've read this chapter probably a million times. I grew up with it in church as a kid. I love this story as a kid. I love it in the old King James. In the old King James, down there in verse 39, where Martha says, Lord, don't roll that stone back. He's been dead four days. In the old King James, it says, he stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh. Yeah, man, there's something about the, the, the fourth grade boy in me that loves that so much. He's, he stinketh. You know, he stinketh. I read this story all my life, and he stinketh every single time, and I love that. But also, every time Lazarus comes out of the tomb, we know this story. We know how this story ends, and it ends beautifully. It's great. I love it. As a kid, I loved it. I loved imagining this story. I loved imagining Lazarus coming out of the tomb, not stinking, you know, because he's alive. But I love the part where, I mean, first off, like I was a kid, I was always watching a big show and like, I love horror movies. And so I, I think like mummy, like my head, my mind goes to like Lazarus is a mummy and he is a mummy. He's wrapped up in bandages and grave clothes. He's a mummy. Y'all know what I mean? And so when they open the tomb, Lazarus is a mummy. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, boy, come on over here. So what do you picture? <laughs> like Lazarus is like. <laughs> you tell me I'm wrong. Like. That's what he's got to do. Now that's in the Bible. And then Jesus says, unwrap him. His hands and feet are bound. Let him go, Jesus says, unwrap him, unbind him, let him go. I love that. It happens every time I read that story. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. The dead man comes out of the tomb every single time. But Mary and Martha don't know any of that. They don't know they're in a Bible story. They do not see this miracle coming. How could they see this miracle coming? I'm just saying that uh, when you're in, down in your life, you can't even imagine what God's going to do. You don't know what he's going to do. You don't even always know what he's doing. Understand he's going to bless you. It seems impossible to you that any of this could turn out in a way that's going to bless you, but God will make all things, all things turn out for your good. You, you, you trust him. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. Some of you, like, it's the only verse you ever memorized. If we were going to have a contest, everybody's going to stand up and quote a verse. Like, some of you would break your neck to go first because you only know one verse. And it's this, what is it? Jesus, Jesus wept. Like, that's your verse, you know. It's the only one you know. It's two words. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Uh, Jesus wept. 
honestly, I have read this story all my life, but it was only in recent years when I really began to pay attention to this tangle of emotions with Jesus right here. And I, I will be really honest, I, I don't understand it all. The, the first reference to his emotions isn't about grief, it's, it's anger. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, can't, I don't really know where all that comes from. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, the scripture says. A deep anger wells up. I, I, I don't, it mentions it twice. They told him, Lord, come and see, and Jesus wept. And verse 38, he was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. It's that anger, it's that grief. It's the anger that boils over into tears. I don't, I can't explain that to you. The only thing I can possibly suggests is that Jesus weeps because he's God. If, if you want to know why he weeps, let's start here. He's God. He is God in the flesh. He is the creator of everything. But the world is not as he intended. And right there in front of that tomb, everything that's broken and wrong in the world is on full display. He never intended a creation where there would be such sickness and sorrow and death and pain. And right here at the tomb of his friend, I mean, that's all that you see. It's the sickness and the sorrow and the death and the pain. He, he's God. You understand? And this is not the world as he intended it. And, and you've just got to understand the heart of God. You add to that the fact that he's God and that these, these friends, these who are supposed to believe in him and have faith in him, Martha says in verse 27, Lord, I have always believed in you. I've always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. I've always believed that you're the one that came into the world from God. I've always believed that. Also, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Do you understand that contradiction? I've always believed in you that you came from God. Mary says the same thing. The ones who say they believe in him are the very first ones to turn right around and blame him for their pain. They say they believe, but then they blame him. If you'd have been here, Understand, he weeps because he's God. Now understand something about the heart of God. Jesus' weeping shows us that of all the sad and broken hearts in the world and all the sad and broken hearts in the universe, God's own heart is the biggest, most broken of all. Do you understand this about God? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, God loves the world. God loves people. He loves every man, woman, boy, and girl. He's the father of the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter who continues to wait for his children to come home. This is the heart of God. He's a creator who stands here with the stench of death in his nostrils with people losing their minds in fear and doubt and grief. And he weeps. He weeps because he's God. Because of all the broken hearts, God is the biggest, most broken heart of all. And he weeps because he's human. He's the God man, right? Jesus is fully God, God in the flesh, but it's human flesh. And he loves Lazarus and he loves Martha and he loves Mary and he, he knows what he's gonna do, but even that doesn't erase the pain in that moment. So Jesus says, uh, where is he? What'd you do with him? 
And they said, come, we'll show you. So they take Jesus out to the graveyard, to the cemetery. And it's a grave like in, dug into the side of the hill and a stone rolled across it. Jesus says, open it, roll that stone away. And Martha says, don't do that. In, in this ancient time, uh, death was a family matter, which means when someone dies, it's the family's responsibility to bury them. There's no funeral home. There's no coroner. It's the family. It's Martha and Mary. They watched their brother sick. They begged that Jesus would come. Jesus didn't come. They watched their brother die. Have you ever watched a person die? They'll take that final breath. If you're standing there watching them breathe, you never know which breath will be the last. But then when that final breath is taken, the body's empty. It's the strangest thing. It's almost like somebody would take a glove off and lay it on the table. The body all of a sudden just looks vacant. And it grows cold cold. You've never touched a living, I mean, my hands are always cold, <laughs> but when you touch a, a dead body, it, that, that, that coldness is shocking. So Martha and Mary, they have gone through this whole process with their brother, and there's no embalming. You prepare for burial, and so they washed his body. Their brother, they washed his naked body his arms, his legs. And then they wrap him with grave clothes, bandages. Um, the, the wrapping isn't to make him look like a mummy, understand. The wrapping mostly is to be able to cover that body with um, spices, with oils, with anything that will mask that smell. That terrible smell. They'll put him in a tomb and roll a stone across the front, but understand, it is a Mediterranean climate. That body is going to decompose, and you're never, ever going to completely trap that smell. So they wrap the body and tuck spices and soak those bandages in oils to try and mask the smell that's going to be inevitable. Martha doesn't know everything about what's about to happen, but she understands how death works. And so when Jesus says, roll that stone aside, it's her brother. It's not just like a dead body that she doesn't want to smell. It's her brother. And she just says, don't open that tomb. We, we don't want to smell don't want to smell that. Four days. He's been dead four days. I, I don't want to smell that. Okay, I'm going to stop right here in this story because, because this is what you must understand about how miracles happen. 
okay? And I'm not going to say this, it's kind of inglorious the way I'm about to say this, but I don't know a better way to say it from this story. Understand how Jesus works. Uh, the stink comes before the miracle. Do you understand what I'm saying? The stink comes before the miracle. If there's ever a moment in your life where Jesus wants to stir up a stink, let him. Let him. Now, I want to talk very specifically about your life right now, and I don't know anything about your life right now. I just know that there are many, many situations in our lives where we find ourselves in a place where it just stinks, you know, and it may be your, it may be your finances right now. You may be in a place where I mean, you're losing your house this week, you know, and you're thinking maybe, maybe if I'd have gotten a second job, you know, back in June, it, I could have done something different, but this is where I am and this is how it's going to be. And, 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 and it's too late now. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, it just stinks, but, but, but for you, it's, it's, it's dead, it's buried, it's over. I mean, there, there's just no hope now. Some of you are in a marriage like that, or you've been in a marriage like that, where all the affection, all the love, all the kindness, all, all the consideration that you had when you started, it's dead now. I mean, your marriage died in your arms, and it's cold now, and I'm telling you, it stinks now, and it is dead and buried, and in your mind, let's just roll the stone across it and walk away. It's too late now. I mean, maybe back, if we'd have gone to counseling back then, you know, but now, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, do I need to go on? Your situation with your children your situation in your job, and whatever it is, if you just say, this stinks, but at the same time, there's no fixing it now. All of us are church people, right? It can be a situation in the church where you just think, this stinks, but, but at the same time, it can't be fixed. It's too late now. Maybe back then, maybe at the start, you know, we look back, we just think, you know, if Jesus, if you had been here, you know what I'm saying? And Jesus steps in right there into that stink of your life and says, roll back the stone. And you're thinking, no, no, you know, let it lay there. Don't stir it up now. Don't stir up the stink now. Just let it lay there. It's dead. It's gone. If you'd have been here sooner, but it's too late now. And Jesus says, roll back that stone. I'm just saying the stink comes before the miracle and Jesus can raise to life anything that's dead in you. That's why I say when, when, when they say, Jesus, if you'd have been here sooner, they don't know what they're talking about. If you've been here sooner, like, like, like there's a clock ticking for Jesus, and if you've been here sooner, he could have done something, but now there's nothing he can do. They don't know who they're talking to. Jesus can raise to life anything that's dead in you. So understand, when Jesus says in verse 4, Lazarus' sickness won't end in death. I know there's a moment in that story when the disciples are thinking, well, Jesus, he, he sure missed that one. He, and Jesus said he wasn't going to die, you know? Smells dead to me. Jesus said Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, which means if you're in the middle of the story where Jesus, you know, where Lazarus is dead, that means Jesus ain't done yet. You know what I mean? It says this ain't going in with Lazarus dead. So if somewhere in the middle, Lazarus is dead, it doesn't make any sense. But you have to know, well, this can't be the end of the story. And same thing with your life. No such thing is too late. 
You know, maybe if we didn't, you know, maybe if I'd have majored in religion when I was in college, what are you talking about? You think Jesus can't bless your life now? You think you messed up God Almighty's plan for your life because you don't know how to choose a major? Because you flunked calculus? I mean, you think all of a sudden God's just like, well, I'm done with her. I mean, what are you talking about? He can raise to life anything that's dead. There is nothing that you can point to and say, well, it's too late now. There's nothing you can point to and say, well, that's going to be impossible. Oh my goodness, you don't know who you're talking about. If you can bring the dead to life, you find out that he's sick. You don't even need to hurry. Because when Jesus gets there, he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. And whether Lazarus is dead or alive, Lazarus is going to come forth. Jesus doesn't have to be worried. He doesn't have to get anxious. You understand? He has all power and he can raise to life anything that's dead in you. Anything. Whatever is hopeless. Whatever it is that you think, my goodness, it's too late now. You don't know who you're praying to. So Jesus says, roll the stone aside. In verse 39, Martha says, Lord, he's been dead for four days and the smell will be terrible. And Jesus responds, verse 40, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? That's an interesting response there. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? I mean, first off, Martha's already said, I have always believed in you. I mean, she said that like back in the middle of the chapter. I've always believed. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the one that comes from God. I've always believed that. And now standing in front of her brother's tomb with the stench of death in her nostrils, Jesus says, you will see God's glory if you believe. You know? All of us, we say we believe and we think we believe, but do you really believe what you believe? We all believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We believe it on Easter when this house is alive with music and we got lilies on the carpet and we got the choir singing. It is easy to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life when you are celebrating Easter. It is really hard to believe that when you're standing in front of the tomb of your dead brother with the stench of death in your nostrils. I told you you would see God's glory if, if you believe he did. Again, the beginning of the story, Jesus says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. It was always about God's glory. I said that Jesus has got a larger purpose, and he does, and you can't see it and you don't understand it. It's got something to do with his glory. And by Saying it's got something to his glory, it doesn't mean Jesus just wants an opportunity to show off. It doesn't mean he just wanted to make this as dramatic as it could be to make a good Bible story. No, he wants you to see his glory not to impress you, but so that you can know him. He is glorious. It's not that he sometimes acts like he's glorious. He is glorious. And the only way you can know him is to know him in his glory. You have to know him as glorious. And if you're never in a situation standing there in front of something dead in your arms, you will never know that he can bring the dead back to life. You'll never know his power. 
Until you're in an impossible situation, you will never know what it means to pray to a God of all possibility. And I tell you that you would see God's glory, you know. So understand, when trouble comes, some of you are in trouble right now. Some of you, it's about to hit on Tuesday and you don't know yet. Some of you know exactly what trouble is. Understand, when trouble comes, you're going to see God's glory if you believe. Now, there's no way this isn't true. And others like, yeah, Pastor Tim, maybe, maybe that's how it works out for some people sometime. But I have a feeling this is it. I'm really going, you know, this is it. You know, this situation, it's, this cannot end gloriously. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know who Jesus is. When trouble comes, you're going to see God's glory because he loves you, because he knows all about your trouble, and he has all the power to help you. There's no other way this turns out. When you're in trouble, you're going to see God's glory if you believe. Martha said, I've always believed. Some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, I've always believed. Will you believe him now? Jesus is frustrating, you know. I can't explain exactly why he sits there for days. Lazarus is sickening and Lazarus dies. Jesus doesn't even send a card. Then he arrives at the tomb, reveals his glory. The dead man walks every single time. <laughs> every single time. I'm just telling you, whatever you're going through, whatever you feel like has died in your arms right now, you're about to see God's glory if you believe, pray with me.